You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So, are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. What does I it say? it would be a good... <laughs> I didn't even get to idea. <laughs> Maybe I can just ask you the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's going well. It's going really well. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Lisa Harding, author, actor and playwright. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Really thanks, great to have you. Thanks, Jamie. You can also say screenwriter from today. We handed in, I handed in my first screenplay to the BFI today oh my god amazing so we can add that we're in development and that was for harvesting we'll get onto this later but that was for harvesting your first book yeah well before we we'll go back onto that we'll circle back because that sounds great and i want to hear all about that Mm. but let's start with the new book bright burning things fresh off the press the story of a mother battling her alcohol dependencies and regrets to try and keep custody of her son. It's so down to earth and sort of scarily relatable. It's the sort of book I picked it up, um, read the first chapter, and then sort of looked at the clock absentmindedly and realized that many hours had passed and I'd read far more than one chapter. It was just so gripping. And, and the character that you capture through Sonia is so strikingly authentic. I felt immediately connected with her in in just like a matter of paragraphs Mm. what was it like for you finding and honing that voice Mm, thanks Jamie first of all um she I think okay first of all because it's a first person narrative and it's present tense right so it's really immersive as you say and because my training is theater and you know a lot of improvisation that that was my training as an actress so that is how I write. It's very immersive and it is all about voice and, you know, being in the head of the character. So yeah, she was very, um, real to me and I'm really glad to hear you say real to you. And I think to a lot of readers too, um, and strangely relatable to people possibly because of what we're all experiencing at the moment, because her head is a very intense place to be, as you know, like she's battling a lot of intrusive thoughts and she's, she's battling with her alcoholism and she's battling with her past, you know, her kind of past traumas come up. And actually I've been speaking to a lot of people around COVID and, you know, this being grounded and being isolated a lot, that's kind of coming up for a lot of people is memories. And, you know, so there's a strange resonance actually with her head that I hadn't expected because I had written it well before this period came along and I'm probably closer to Sonia now than I've ever been which isn't a great oh, really? thing that's <laughs> like, interesting you know, like after the fact after the fact I'm like oh no yeah. <laughs> yeah this head that's amazing yeah you mentioned this is the style that you write in is to do with your your experiences and training in theater as a you know thespian the thespian ways hmm. um when you 
write the character when you or just when you were writing generally do you find that you are a planner or do you go for that more improvisational no I'm an absolute not a planner and I can cause myself (laughs) a lot of heartache because of that I'm I'm what they call the inductive writer right so I mean I've just written and I'm coming I hope coming close to the end of a third novel and it's it's been pure impulse. In fact, everything I write is pure impulse, even even really? plays, which is why the screenplay has been such a challenge for me. But we'll talk about that again because you cannot go on pure impulse, you know. Um, right. But you can in the novel because the form is so mutable and theatre too, unless you want to write the classic three-act structure. But yeah. no, I absolutely let my impulse take me where it will. And it can be a much longer process that way because you end up having to kind of hone and edit and question and find some kind of structure after the fact, you know, but I quite enjoy that. I quite enjoy letting, just letting it all come out in a splurge and then having to find some kind of, yeah, architecture. Um, Yeah. So shaky foundations. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a tried and tested technique, uh, endearingly named the vomit draft. The vomit draft, yes, exactly. But when you do do that, as you say, there's a lot of editing involved. Mm-hmm. How, how, first of all, how long did it take you to, to, from start to finish to complete this book? This book was tough, right? Because the first one, um, Harvesting, I wrote very fast. It was pretty much done in nine months and it came out almost perfect. Like it didn't get any editing. It was a weird wow. thing. I felt like I was possessed writing that book. <laughs> yeah, I really did. I felt like this force took me over and it was a very political book and I felt very, I was involved. You know, it was about sex trafficking of young people in Ireland and I had been involved in that world in a voluntary capacity for a few years. So I just, it's like it wrote itself. This book, the second book, it's classic, you know, second album as well. People say <laughs> the pressure's on. And yeah. also it's closer to me and closer to my life experiences. And, and, you know, I find that harder because I find it harder to to get um, any kind of distance or any kind of perspective. You know, people say, write what you know. Well, I, I don't. I don't believe that. I believe you write what you can, you know, feel. Like, I mean, I write from the heart and it's not terribly trendy at the moment, you know. It's all, it seems to be a lot of it at the moment is about form and isn't it like, you know, yes, the intellect. There's, and there's, there's a lot of different academies uh, pushing their sort of like, this is how you write a novel and this is the correct way to structure it. Yes, yes. So, but I definitely am interested in um, the interior life and, you know, the heart and the emotion. And so I, fa- so in answer to your, sorry, very long winded answer to your question, it was tough. <laughs> it yeah, I find, I find it tough to write the second book. And I took probably in total to get it right three years, you know, even though the first draft mm-hmm. came out in about nine months, but I played a lot like I played with second person. I played with the little boy having a voice. In fact, the, the early stages, it was much more his story. And then it's weird how things evolve. And then I just became utterly fascinated by her. And I felt that if I didn't give him a voice on the page, the reader would worry more for him. I think I was oh, right to do that. Yeah, yeah I kind of yeah, removed yeah, yeah. him from the pages. And so therefore you're living the separation with Sonia, you know, with the mom thinking, where is he? Yeah. H- how is he? Um, yeah, it was, it was, wasn't an easy book. I'm enjoying the third one a lot more. So 
you know oh, okay yeah to write <laughs> did you I plan mean. the third one at all or is this no also just... and, it's, and okay. i'm really struggling to find an ending <laughs> it's like yeah there's so many endings i could i'm tossing up in the air at the moment but well at least of... you've got options yeah you know, that's good the worst yeah. thing would be if you had written most of it and then had no idea how it ended and you yeah. were searching for anything yeah. that would fit the bill exactly no there's a few options which is kind of worrying but anyway it'll 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 land it'll land at some point okay yeah. Well, let's let's take it back uh, a bit here. Let's take it all the way back to, uh, well, when you first sort of uh, entered into the professional world of storytelling, mm. you first found footing as a, as a playwright. Mm. What was it that initially drew you to the stage as opposed to going into something more prose sort of based? Well, to be honest, I think it's because it's what I knew. So... I was a stage actress. I was a theatre actress for, mm-hmm. for many years. And I didn't really start to write till my mid-30s, really. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, and it was, I started to write genuinely because of a sense of frustration at where my acting career had taken me, which was <laughs> not where I had wanted it to go. <laughs> and it was, you know, I was speaking words that I wasn't believing in and I ended up doing soap and all sorts of stuff. And I was really frustrated. So I started to write from frustration, and not for me, though. I, I didn't want ever to write for me. I wanted to write and have other actors inhabit the roles. So, yeah, I like I wrote a play and it got workshop by the National Studio, actually. And um, I know for your listeners, it's always interesting to know how these things, you know, come come into being. And that was yeah. genuinely that was a cold. I, I wrote I wrote it. And I sent it out to, you know, the Bush, the Royal Court, like the, the big ones, the National and I didn't know anyone and I didn't have an agent at the time. And I did actually get from the pile, got called into the national. Um, Chris Campbell was there at the time and Ben Yankovic. And I got invited to workshop, which was wonderful. And then Amazing. I got a little, I got a small commission then to be part of a new, uh, it was called Only Connect. And it was new voices that they chose from, I think that year in the studio, you know, in the national studio. And we had, we had plays on, um, in the Battersea Arts Centre. So, yeah, like I wrote a couple of plays, Theatre 503, back in Dublin, the project. But I think I always have my eye on the novel. Some Somewhere I was right. like, oh, I'd love to have a go at that, but I don't know if I have the confidence. It was okay. a confidence thing with me for a long time. So yeah. you, you, you exclusively wrote plays and then you did some short stories. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So actually I back in 20, was it 14? I went to the MPhil in Trinity when I moved back from London. Um, I came to Dublin and I actually focused that year. So it was the master's in creative writing and it was brilliant because it allowed me that year. I wanted, I consciously wanted to kind of transition into prose. So I spent that year playing and, but, you know, I did discover that my strength is the monologue, which effectively bright burning things is the monologue, isn't it? It's, it's a full on, yeah, you know, I guess. Yeah. Interior yeah. monologue. Um, yeah. So I started to write short stories. They were all first person. Then I played with the second person. Then I played with the third person, but you know, I discovered my strength is voice. So I started, yeah, that's how I, that's how I went into short stories, got a few of them published, and then one of the short stories that I got published, it kind of developed legs itself. And I knew there was a bigger story in it. And it was this young girl from Moldova, 
which is unusual to take as a novel, you know, for your first novel. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, you know, the whole cultural appropriation thing as well. Yeah. It was kind of tricky. And, but yeah, she really kind of took over and I wanted to live with her a lot longer. And then this other Irish girl came into my head and I just started playing. And again, they were like monologues, the two of them. And they started to kind of talk to each other and their lives intersected at a certain point. And, you know, it just developed that way I still haven't attempted um and I don't know you know it's not like the third person past tense you know the classic yeah yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it I don't think it's my thing I'm writing first person past tense now but even that is a bit technical okay. for me it's a bit like because usually everything I write is in the moment with the character right. it's in the pulse so yeah. which which probably feels more natural to you given totally, the, yeah. the background and the stage yeah so are you finding it, you are finding it a bit harder writing in the past uh, tense? I am because there is a technical, you know, you have to, I'm, I'm, I'm I, like, I really dislike, you know, had, had, and, you know, the old <laughs> having to think about grammar and stuff. Um, yeah. So, but, but the only thing is it does give you a longer lens and it gives you something to play with. Like I'm having kind of quite a lot of fun because my character is in her 40s looking back at herself when she was 18 and something momentous happened in her life and you know there's a certain voice that you can bring in that comments yeah. that I'm enjoying that I've never yeah, done before yeah, yeah. yeah. no yeah d definitely the first person past is a great um it's a great one for the unreliable narrator as well it is and i had i had written the whole thing in the second person so the you passed but then i got into real tr i love the you but i got into real tricky territory with moving from the you to the we uh, you know it was really oh. technically really tricky so i actually had to jettison it because the novel becomes a we it's like it's it's kind of a cult campus novel so there's a big we in it oh okay yeah okay okay yeah well that'll be that would be really interesting to to read having read your your first person present and then see how you switch it up yeah into that yeah you mentioned uh you sent off your first plays blind mm -hmm. didn't have an agent at that point mm -hmm. you do have an agent now do yes you have a separate agent for did you have a different agent for when you were doing plays? yeah yeah I did. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. And I, I moved agency. Um, and the reason I moved agency and I won't like, there's no bad mouthing anybody here and I won't even say who they were, but the reason I moved agency is because my agent at the time didn't have time, it, you know, and right. was somebody who <laughs> you would send an email and you could wait two weeks before you'd hear something back. And I'd had years of, you know, being rejected and kind of trying to get an agent and being rejected and being ignored. And I thought, oh man, like I want an agent who's actually going to be there. And I did move. Um, and I did move after Harvesting actually was published. Okay. And I can't tell you the difference. I mean, just, you know, for writers that are listening, it, it's 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 extraordinary and the 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 agency that i moved to my agent is very senior and very busy but she's an extraordinary human being any of her clients if you email her she gets back by midnight that day even to say i'm really busy i will get to you in two days so she you know it's a it's a lovely um you're very very looked after and nurtured and i think it's important that artists have that relationship um yeah 
hard to get an agent in the first place always exactly yes. yeah and then there's always the danger of we've had a few people on the show who have had uh a couple of agents uh, yeah you, you being one of them obviously yeah and th- there is that danger of um you you sign with an agent and it's not necessarily the right fit and it ne- it's neither person's fault mm. but mm-hmm. you know it, sometimes it just doesn't work and it's a very important relationship mm-hmm. um to to have because you both need to be very mm. much on the same wavelength yeah the difference it's made to my life like my creative life has been absolutely extraordinary and this this agent that I'm with now like I remember the first time I met her she actually gave me about an hour you know this is a really busy agent and we had tea and cake and she was interested in process and I thought I want to work with you you know it was (laughs) amazing yeah that's it yeah I mean you knew straight away which is great and what was it like um so you've been through the submission process twice with agents then is that right? well the second time I was recommended actually I Ah, I had been recommended by and you know how that happened was I went to Arvon you know the the writing spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at Shopify.com slash records retreats all over England and I was doing an editing an advanced editing week and uh, Ella Wakatama Alfrey with this incredible editor she's just brilliant was was tutoring and she just happened to really like what I was working on which was early stuff of bright burning things and said well I have someone in mind for you and I was very excited by who it was so that's how that happened but yeah I've done the cold submission um I did that initially and there's a lot of rejection as everybody who's listening knows and you have to just have you just have to keep going you know um I never it's important for everyone to hear that that this is something everyone oh yeah yeah and I never subscribe to that whole like it you know you have to wait you have to do three months and wait to see if an agent gets back to you I didn't I banged it out like got harvesting I banged it out to about I think 30 at once so okay yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's because yeah. that's that is not advised by agents. Yeah. Well, anyway, they usually say five to ten, but it worked for you. Well, you know, otherwise you can you're just sitting kind of, and like I have, you know, I have a friend who said something like ninety six rejections on this beautifully written memoir, and I still believe in it, and so does she. But you know, the waiting period, you you have to kind of mind your own time, you know. Um, yeah. So she got to the stage initially, she was doing batches of 10 and then she was like, oh, now <laughs> and now it's gone out to 50. It's like, you okay. know, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the time it's not necessarily about how well it's written or, no. you know, what it, so much of it is, does it fit into the market now? Mm-hmm. You know, and agents will, we've spoken to a few agents on the podcast and one of the first things they'll do is sit down and say, uh, before almost before they even start reading it, they're like, "Okay, how can I market this? Mm. You know, how does this fit into the market?" And because mm. you do have to remember, it's a business, mm. so you might have written the most beautiful story in the world, but if mm. you know, if there's if there's a bunch of other books in that space, or if it's just not going to fit into the into the current 
zeitgeist of of uh, literature then yeah and yet jamie you know then there are agents that take risks and that create you know a new zeitgeist you know there's always there's always one there's always hopefully if you can stand over your own work and think this is the best it can be and i know what i'm doing you know hopefully there'll be somebody that will resonate with it that's that's kind of what i've learned because i have had a lot of rejection as an actress and a a writer and and i'm not immune to it at all um but i I keep going, you know, yeah. and that's the important thing. That's the perseverance mm-hmm. is the key. You must persevere, and you yeah, know, it doesn't matter how many rejections you had. It, all you need is one. Exactly, yes. exactly, and it's a great story. Then you know, bright burning things was rejected quite a bit, and it la- and when it landed, it landed in you know one of my favorite publishing houses. So you know, it, it, you just you never know, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's talk about the culmination of your different uh mediums hmm. uh as you mentioned as you first came on you can now add the title of screenplay writer yes screenwriter Screen- screenwriter yes. <laughs> to your to your um accolades i was a co-writer though i have to say that i was a co-writer right. okay yeah and was that your choice yes to be a co-writer a hundred percent absolutely in fact what happened and it was a really interesting process i so I um, didn't have anyone selling the film rights on this. was the first book and the first book was published in a quiet way, you know, in Ireland, a very wonderful independent press, but, you know, small and um, it didn't have anyone touting around the, the film rights or anything. But I, I was I just was at a reading. I gave a reading and there happened to be somebody in the audience who um worked for women's aid and she happened to be really good friends with this director who's the director of the dairy girls she gave it to him he loved it he came to me so it was all very organic he went to a producer he got the producer so there was no big you know um like there was no big deal on this at all and right. it's it was lovely because i knew i really i really respect michael's work i love the dairy girls yeah <laughs> he has I, I mean you know lisa mcgee who writes it the, there's there's a wonder but he, i i i really respect the directing as well and i loved michael's vision for the book but that was three years ago so we've only now handed in a first draft and like there were there were many many aborted attempts Basically, in the beginning, it was me on my own room crying because I was like, I can't. <laughs> like going from the novel, you know, your own novel to a screenplay. It was just, yeah. oh. And then, it, it, weirdly, COVID happened and it was wonderful for me because Mike's really busy. And suddenly he was sitting at home and I said, Mike, can we do this together now? And he said, yeah, bang it over to me. And then it ended up, you know, it was brilliant. We got great momentum. He's never written screenplay and I think he's really talented. So together we got something that we're actually quite excited about. It took about six months together. Yeah. Did you, did you find the, the, the skills that you've learned through writing prose and through writing plays how did that come together and sort of help you write the screenplay or or did you was it really quite alien to you it was quite hard Jamie like it's I mean I have never studied you know screenwriting and I was never drawn funnily um I never wanted to write for tv although I watch you know there's amazing stuff out there um but it it, I think (laughs) 
I think it feels a little bit restrictive to me and it feels a bit like I'm in trigonometry class or something when I'm told, you know, <laughs> you have to, this scene here and at this time and you have to mark every scene. And, you know, you, you really have to be conscious of time and yes. handling and action. And it, it, it was tricky. I found it tricky. Um, I will, I, I know going forward that I would love to be involved if there are any more adaptations of my books in fact bright burning things has been optioned but i would never want to be number one writer maybe i should i should probably not say never (laughs) for now yeah yeah for now um i i really think it's great i think it's amazing if you have a director who can be involved in that process you know because it is a director's medium i've always known that you know it's such a visual medium and to have the director there involved in the script, like, you know, Lenny Abrahamson, I don't know if you know him, the Irish, he's an amazing no, Irish director. Know. He he directed Room with Emma Donoghue. That was a adaptation okay. of her book and it right. worked beautifully. And he also did um, Normal People there recently, you know, the oh, wonderful yes. BBC adaptation. Yeah. And he works very closely on script with his writers. So, I have always been drawn to that the idea of working with a director who will be involved in that process because, you know, if there can be such a disconnect if a writer sits on their own in a room and writes a screenplay and then hands it over to a director, sometimes even the sensibilities don't match, you know? So, mm. yeah, I, I loved that process, I have to say, of working with a director. I was really lucky. Well, brilliant. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's... Again, that's probably another very important relationship because yeah. you know you could get lumped with a director who you do not see eye to eye with, and then that I would know. be an issue. I know. So you've been very lucky there. I was with very lucky. Yeah. The new one. Mm. Are you? Do Do you know what's happening there? Is it's, Is it very new? So it's very new, really and it's kind of hush hush in that we we don't. Sure. I'm not. Yeah. So I don't know yet. Like the director hasn't been assigned, and and there are you know yeah. So we don't, I can't really talk about that yet, but it has of course. properly been optioned, which is very exciting. Very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, but <laughs> maybe you can answer, if given the choice, you would like to be involved to yeah, some degree. I would. Yeah, I'd like to be involved to some degree. Like I know, you know, um, there's a novelist called Tim Winton. I don't know if you know him. Amazing Australian novelist. And I adore his work, um, Cloud Street breath airy he, he's written all these amazing novels like they're, okay. they're 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 just wonderful you, you can read them and you can see how filmmakers would be drawn to them but i remember seeing him talk at some literary festival he's he's a funny guy and he was like the worst experience of his life was trying to write his own screenplay and <laughs> he has decided to absolutely never do it again so you know he hands it over completely um but then you have margaret atwood or somebody who will always be involved but also not know that it's not her primary talent you know she is primarily well she's an extraordinary novelist but she's always involved in some way in the script as script advisor or something and I yeah I think that's kind of ideal I I mean it's quite important to 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 at least have the author unless you know obviously in some cases where they really don't want to and they just mm. do it i don't want to be involved mm. but i think you know with the opportunity it's so ju- even just as a consultant just so that they can say what do you think of this mm-hmm. 
uh, and then you as the kind of you know the inception of this whole thing yeah yeah absolutely I agree with you and I was surprised because I thought that I would be a lot more controlling to be honest because you know I've spent the last kind of eight years on my own in a room writing things on my own um but I wasn't I was very very open I think it's because I trust this director so much um I was very open to his suggestions and um, yeah, and I I think I trust that it is it is it is as I said before it is the director's medium, you know. So yeah, you might have some screenwriters listening to this going, no, <laughs> but that is my experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's and it must you know it must it's a learning curve. So I imagine the experience that you 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 have had and will continue to have with harvesting mm-hmm. will help. You know, you'll probably learn so much from that that you can approach. Absolutely, I, comes yeah, I did. I learned so experience. much. It was it was pretty um pretty painful at times, but yeah, today's yeah. a good day because we handed <laughs> it in today. So I was like, Yay, amazing. What I know. a great feeling. Yes. And that, now it's out of your hands, right? Completely. For a while, but you know, we'll get notes and then. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, but yeah, it's out of my hands now for a oh, while. Okay. Yeah. Well, brilliant. And with all this, you know, many years of experience in storytelling from all these different mediums, shorts, plays, uh, and now, you know, in long form as well, Mm -hmm. and now screenwriting, uh, what advice would you give people looking to break into any of those mediums, people, people looking to start writing and get their, get their work out there? Well, first of all, I think do what draws you right so that like you know as I said I was never drawn to writing for a tv but I could have earned a lot more money right um or even film in the beginning so I think you 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 like if you're thinking about writing and you're not sure what kind of form you know do what draws you so it's it's like I have a friend who knew he wanted to be a screenwriter really young and he was always writing shorts and, you know, he was getting things made. And so I feel like it's not always the case, but I know for me, because I really wanted to write a novel, but I was really intimidated by all those brilliant intellects out there, you know, and these amazing yeah. novelists. <laughs> so I think writing short stories was really good for me um, and to learn the narrative arc and to learn that I could do it just now, the short story form is not something I regard myself as brilliant at at all. And there are brilliant short story writers like and yeah. like Amy Hempel and George Saunders and these people that like it's an extraordinary form in and of itself. Yeah. But for me, it was wonderful practice. And also, you know, maybe writing short films as well. I didn't do that because but this is because this came to me and it was a different. But um, I don't know. I, I just think you need to write like whatever I mean I didn't even know so harvesting I didn't know was it going to be a novel I thought initially was going to be a play I had a lot of different first person voices so you just go go with your first impulse and um and go with your 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 love you know wherever your passion is I think that's the most important thing and try not to put the financial stuff up front you know (laughs) I think that's yeah very important to not focus on those kinds of aspects yeah yeah, it's that's Im- so interesting that harvesting was originally you originally conceived it as a as a play. I yeah, did, yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to be a play. Well, yeah. That's quite a dramatic shift in uh, in medium, though. Well, actually, if you read it, like it actually is two two separate monologues, you know, and they just kind of weave, interweave, and then yeah, it built itself. The narrative built itself, so um, it it could it still could work as a play. 
Although, you see, the thing is, when you sell your screen, when you sell your rights, I didn't realize any of this, but when you sell your rights, uh, screen rights, they also own theater rights and all that. So there's all that for, you oh, know, that, know that, that all comes. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's the agent's job. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's all been new. That's, you know, that's really good advice. That's also a really interesting tidbit about screen rights and theater rights. Um, mm. And I think that about rounds off the interview, which means that I have one final question <laughs> for you, Lisa. The much dreaded question, which is, if you were stranded alone on a desert island and could take only one book with you, which book would you take? I was thinking about this. I honestly, <laughs> I think I'd need to take something that would make me laugh and also Beckett I would I would go for Beckett, oh, Beckett. yeah because I think he's <laughs> absolutely hilarious also yeah. hilarious and you know if you're on your own and you're going through some existential crisis no better man so <laughs> I don't know which of his works I would want but I would want to go for a collected works I know there's a couple of different ones <laughs> but a selection you know because I, I love his short plays and um and his short stories and so a collected works of Beckett I think because I really think he is so funny and yeah you know that that thing of being alone in the world and existential angst and um yes he would make me laugh and also I adore his language you know his his yes. his sentences are just so beautiful and the rhythms and so yeah I wouldn't get bored you could read <laughs> it and read it and read it and you'd see new things in it all the time Oh, of course. So much variety, humor. Uh, and, and it is deep that, you know, there's philosophical elements to a lot of, of, course. A lot of his, yeah, his yeah. writings. Brilliant yeah. stuff. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank You're you welcome. so much for coming on, sharing your experience with us and the listeners. And if anyone listening would like to stay up to date on all of Lisa's latest news, you can follow her on Twitter at Lisa S. Harding mm -hmm. and go and check out Bright Burning Things. It's such a powerful thought-provoking story and written with this incredible first-person sort of depth that just completely captures uh, it'll be on our list at uk.bookshop.org slash shop slash right and wrong and to make sure you don't miss out on an episode of the podcast you can follow us on twitter at right and wrong uk and on instagram at right and wrong podcast Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Jamie. And we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.